You really mustn't, darling. I... What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Can I Comment? I'm Jake. And I'm Michael. And we are here today with another episode, a fantastic conversation with Elisa Childers, who is a author and a Christian apologist. And we're sitting down to talk with her, hear all about her story, her experience within progressive Christianity, mm-hmm. everything that she's learned on the subject. And really one of the leading thinkers, probably, right? Absolutely. Um, just on kind of how we're supposed to view, respond to, and understand that movement. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Super well-respected voice. So we hope you enjoy this conversation. And we would ask that you like, I don't know all the things you know, no, no, we're going to keep going. No, this is we're going to, I like it. You ramble less. Okay. So we're just going to keep going and you know, we're going to like, we're going to, we're going to like the podcast on (laughs) Apple podcasts and iTunes uh, and Spotify and all the different things and give us a rating, give us a fun and uh, encouraging rating and review on wherever you're listening to this podcast. And then just make sure and stay updated because we got some cool stuff happening on the podcast we coming do. up. Lots of great changes coming up. So we want you to go on the journey with us. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So enjoy this interview with Elisa Childers and we will see you right back here next week. Alisa, thanks for thanks for talking to us today. We're here with Alisa Childers. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, we uh man, we're really excited. We're excited to talk to you. I know that um gosh, so much of just the content you're putting out is so relevant to so many of the people that have been listening and and joining on on the podcast. So for sure. We're uh we're excited. We um so we start out to put you just on the spot a little bit. I hope that's okay. We start out with a segment every week that we like to call toxic theology. Um I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of toxic theology out there. Is there? And uh so what we do is we just I scour the Internet um, deep down into the rabbit hole of the progressive deconstruction accounts and find <laughs> some really fun uh, tweets, Instagrams, and don't share them with Jake or our guests and just read them to both of you, give you both a chance to, um, you know, respond, reflect, reflect. Yeah, um, we don't say their name. We don't say their name because we don't want to shame them. Right. Um, but, but, uh, but we do do, you know, we, we do this from time to time. So here's the, here's one. Let's, uh, let's have fun with this. Is that cool? Absolutely. Awesome. Um, okay. We'll go with this one. I hate the Christian term saved. You don't need saving from yourself. You need to parent your inner hurting child and reconnection to your authentic self. The biggest lie of Christianity was ever believing we were inherently broken. Mm. The biggest lie was ever believing we were inherently broken. So essentially, we don't need save, saving from ourself. Uh, we need to be reconnected to our authentic self. And uh, the biggest lie we are told in Christianity is that we are inherently broken. Great. Yeah. Well, this is this is Alisa. Yeah, this is very common in progressive Christianity. In fact, there's a progressive Christian church. I actually pulled it off of their website to use in one of the presentations I give where they they actually say the good news. And that's with a capital G and a capital N. So that's the gospel, essentially, is that you were never separated from God. And so this really is the gospel in progressive Christianity. It's 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 not that progressive Christians will deny that sin exists, but the, they, they deny that it, it separates you from God or that you're inherent. You have this sin nature that's been passed down to you or something like that. Um, but you know, you, I guess if I'm going to reflect on that, you, you just have to get rid of so much scripture to be able to make that view work. You know, Romans 10, 9, 
if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, that's the word that the scripture uses for by grace, you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2. Right. So, you know, this idea that we don't really need to be saved, but somehow I've heard it worded, uh, you know, how they worded it, uh, reconnecting with your authentic self. That's like, um, th that's possibly coming from Richard Rohr and his, you know, true self, false self idea. But mm -hmm. it's just not the, it's not the narrative of scripture. The narrative of scripture is that we are sinful and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we find our salvation in Jesus. That's the Christian message. You know, this isn't like debating over secondary issues. This is like the core of the gospel. And that's, that's why right, yeah. I, for me, that's why it's so important to speak out about progressive Christianity, because it's not just, it's not just like a debate over some kind of secondary issue. This is like presenting Christianity as an entirely different religion. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. I would say too, that a statement like that is going to stem out of somebody's theology around the atonement. And so if they have a broken theology on the atonement in terms of why Jesus died, um, then the mm -hmm. implications of that are that they're going to arrive at silly conclusions like the one that they just wrote. Um, so if you don't believe that Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins, then of course you're not going to think that sin is that big of an issue, mm -hmm. um, that it certainly doesn't separate you from God and that you don't need reconciling to God um, through the cross and resurrection. So I think there's there's probably a whole bunch of tentacled theology that all mm -hmm. like comes back to um, uh, the, the one source of, um, I guess, all of it just being broken. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, why do you think that's so difficult for people to, it's like this, this idea that like, even to have to confront we're broken, mm -hmm. we now live in a world where even that in and of itself sounds right. so um, for some people, so like such a bad, yeah, a bad thing. Like that's that's like that's violent language, right, right. there. Mm. Right? How dare you say that? Yeah, yeah. Where did that come from? Do you think? I'll let you speak to it, Lisa. Well, I think that if we really look at the cultural mes messages that we've been receiving for, I don't know, past 10 years or so, maybe beyond that, everything's all about, and I'm talking just in the, in the culture, not just in Christianity, but from culture, mm -hmm. is just, you know, you're beautiful just as you are. You're perfect just as you are. You are enough for yourself. There's nothing outside of yourself that you need that can fix anything in you that's wrong. You are the answer. It's like um, in Frozen, you have Elsa finding out at the end of Frozen 2 that she's who she's been waiting for her whole life. You know, she's the answer. I forget how it's mm -hmm. worded, but I mean, this is the message. But my three-year-old loves that song. I know. Well, it, you know what? It's a great opportunity <laughs> to talk to your three-year-old about it, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. That's what I'm all about. But, you know, that that's the message, though, is that I'm the one I've been waiting for and I'm enough. I'm mm -hmm. perfect just as I am. I should follow my heart because mm -hmm. my heart tells me the truth and my feelings don't lie. I mean, this is like it, to, to tell people then who've been inundated with that message, actually, you know, you're not enough for yourself. Um, you can't right. save yourself. You're not perfect just as you are. You're actually broken. You can see like this is it's a, mm -hmm. it's a very counterintuitive message in this cultural moment right now. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I agree with you. I think the, um, the, the societal imagination as a whole on a more macro level has embraced that idea. Um, and so when that creeps into Christianity, it, it brings the, 
the same thoughts along with it. And I, I guess it, it, and we don't need to go down this rabbit hole, but it's for me, it always comes back to postmodernism and um, how that way of thinking is basically a reaction to modernism and um, a reaction against objective truth and, and fact. Um, and we are in a place in history where we love feelings and feelings mm-hmm. trump all. Um, and truth can be, uh, it can be whatever my mind makes it. Um, and we kind of have like an inside out, uh, perspective of the world as opposed to recognizing objective truth that is external to us and then conforming to, um, the truth that God has, um, set up. And I think, I think there's something to be said also for the possibility that a lot of people are so tempted by this message because maybe they were raised in a really hyper-legalistic environment where it's just they never could be sinless enough. They couldn't, you know, I think that if we look at the past 20, 30 years of church history, especially the evangelical church in America, you know, it could be like an overreaction to some of the Mm hyper-legalism. People just trying so hard to be good, (laughs) trying to be moral, trying to be pleasing to God, and it's just never enough. Or, you know, their particular struggle was viewed as more, uh, you know, worse than somebody else's particular struggle. And so I think that they're there could be a temptation to fall for that message because it would feel so good to just let that go for a minute and just say, okay, look, God's not like this sin hunter that's trying to, you know, just smush me under his thumb every time I make a mistake. And you can tend to maybe overreact by feeling like this message of, you know what, actually you're good. You're all good. You know, just you're not broken. It's all good. That can be so tempting as maybe an overreaction to the extreme on the other side, possibly. No, I think you're spot on for Mm -hmm. sure. And I think there would be, you know, a thousand and one Christians who would identify strongly with what you just described. And at the end of the day, that really just comes back to the importance of um, really knowing and understanding the scriptures and being able to teach it correctly. And um, I don't think any teacher is is ever going to be perfect, but we can keep striving for perfection in terms of presenting the scriptures and in truth. And I think when the Bible is preached truly, then people are built up. Um, they're not condemned. Um, they may be definitely convicted of their sin as they should be. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can't, I can't get, I can't read the Bible without being convicted. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's always a wonder to me when it can get preached and nobody feels convicted. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but at the same time, it should be, um, an invitation into repentance and an invitation into the gift of holiness. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Cause the Bible says that um, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ mm-hmm. Jesus. So if somebody is in Christ Jesus and there's condemnation, that's not the spirit of God, but mm-hmm. that's a different thing than right. conviction, right? We're all going to experience conviction over our sins and we respond in repentance to that. Uh, but yeah, I think that some, you know, if you go back through church history, there's been a lot of pendulum swinging with this kind of thing. And um, this is why I love the the whole book of First John is such a great answer mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the sort of that balance of how do I become holy, right? How do I become Mm -hmm. more like Jesus every day? And there should be evidence of that in our lives as Christians. We should be being sanctified and there should be, you know, we shouldn't be the same as we were a year ago. Um, But there's like a balance between trying to be perfectly sinless and just throwing up our hands and saying, well, I can't be anyway, so I'm just going to just go within myself. And, you know, and, and, and John describes that as walking in the light, you know, we walk in the light. So we just, we let all of it be exposed to God and he convicts and we respond and he convicts and we respond. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not an easy message, you know, especially Mm -hmm. in this culture. It's that, that's, uh, it's something that we have to continually, like Jesus said, take up our cross. We have to die to ourselves every day. Mm -hmm. And that's not a, Mm -hmm. it's not a particularly attractive message. And especially right now in our you know, current cultural moment, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing we're finding is that, um, 
it's the gospel divides before it unites, mm-hmm. right? So the gospel is going to set apart people who believe and people who don't. But for people who do believe, what we're finding in our own context here in LA, because um, I feel like we bring in the subject, uh, Mike and I are pastors, and so we bring in the subject of repentance and holiness really regularly, mm-hmm. especially uh, after like coming back to gathering after COVID, just kind of getting a lay of the land and seeing what needs to be focused on in, um, at least in our church. Um, but I'm finding that people are getting more and more responsive to that. Mm-hmm. And I think mm. that's a desire of the Holy, Holy Spirit in them is that they actually do want to be holy and they do want to, as you said, walk in the light um, and they want to know truth. Um, and that's the thing. I think feasting on uh, relativism is going to leave you so uh, desiring and so hungry mm. that even if truth initially mm-hmm. offends you, mm-hmm. I think after that, if you can just kind of come t- to terms with truth, it's going to fill you. Um, yeah, that's and it's going to satisfy you in a way that relativism won't. And so I'm holding on to hope that even people who are caught up in, in relativistic thinking, um, I think truth sets people free. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's an interesting just, point you brought up about feasting on relativism because it's kind of like crash mm-hmm. diets, you know, like there was a, it's like right. eating kale. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hey, I love kale and kale is very nutritious. <laughs> But what I was going to bring up, yeah, I hate there, it. <laughs> there are these noodles, and they're they're like everybody who does keto and all these different diets will get these noodles, and they're I forget what they're called. They're made from some kind of like plant something, but they have are only they zucchini, f- like zucchini noodles. No, no, it's not like a vegetable noodle. I'll have to look it up, but they're only five calories. You can have like a big bowl of these noodles for five mm-hmm. calories, and I remember getting the noodles and being so excited, like, oh, I can eat a big bowl of noodles, and it's only five <laughs> calories. Yeah, and I ate the whole bowl of noodles, and I felt full for like one second. And then I realized, oh, this is just like drinking a glass of water. It'll fill your stomach with volume, but there's nothing there to to sustain right. you, to give you any nutrition. And then you end up more hungry than you overeat because, because of <laughs> right. these, these noodles. So kind of when you said feasting on relativism, it made me think of that. It's kind of like a, a crash mm. diet where you're you're filling up your stomach, but you're not getting any nutrition. It's going to just leave you more hungry than before. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Yeah. I like filet mignon myself. Personally. <laughs> yes. That's what fills you up. That is good. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you said um, in your book, I think this is a really uh, great quote to bring in. You said, progressive Christianity has evolved since the early 2000s, which, by the way, we didn't mention at the start. Elisa is the author of a book called Another Gospel, Mm -hmm. um, which is a terrific read. Um, Highly recommend it for anybody who is interested in the subject. You say, progressive Christianity has evolved since the early 2000s. There are concrete tenets I've discovered by reading and listening to the books, blogs, and podcasts of its leaders. Today, there is general unity surrounding three topics, the Bible, the cross, and the gospel. I think you even did an episode on your podcast um, where, or maybe it was on somebody else's podcast, I can't remember, but you you kind of walked through what you've observed are the core tenets of progressive Christianity. Um, and I was wondering if based upon those three uh, themes of the Bible, the cross and the gospel, if it would be worth kind of just unpacking each of those a little bit yeah. um, and talking about what, what it is that you've noticed. What, I, let's start with the Bible. Yeah. So I want to be clear that the, the information that I'm giving is coming from the thought leaders, like from the people who are writing the books, they're representing the movement. These are the major faces of the movement. So with that said, there could be people who go to progressive churches or people in the pews that may not affirm all of this stuff, but when I analyzed the thought leaders of the movement, these are the things I found them to be the most united on. Um, mm-hmm. And I make that disclaimer because progressive Christianity is pretty fluid. 
There's a lot of beliefs that mm-hmm. fall under that umbrella. It's constantly changing. It's even a little looks a little different than it did when I wrote my book now today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's more helpful to possibly describe it by what they deny rather than the, what they affirm, because they might mm-hmm. affirm a hundred different things about the atonement, but there's one thing they all deny. And so we'll get to that gotcha. in a second. But um, it, it really mm-hmm. starts with the view of the Bible. And so what I have found nearly unanimously across the board in progressive literature is that they view the Bible more as a human book about God than a, a book that God wrote to humans. So um, there was even a progressive church in Nashville that put out a meme that said the Bible is not God's word. And a lot of people were really shocked by this. But what they don't realize is that, you know, maybe not every progressive Christian would say it that explicitly, but that's kind of the end result of their view of the Bible. And mm-hmm. so uh, if we historically as Christians, even with all of our disagreements over interpretations and everything, but if we mm-hmm. look back historically about how Christians have viewed the Bible, when a prophet in the Old Testament says, the Lord says, and then they say something, mm-hmm. we generally mm-hmm. think that's what the Lord said, right? That's what the text says. Mm-hmm. The text said that's God speaking. Mm-hmm. So we view that as mm-hmm. God speaking. Well, it's not that way in progressive Christianity. So in progressive Christianity, they're going to look back at the people who wrote the Bible and they're going to say, you know, these were the people who were the very first people to try to figure Yahweh out. These, the early Christians were the first people to try to right. figure what Jesus did. They were, so they represent Christianity and religion, you know, Yahweh and all this in its infancy, much like a baby learning right. to crawl before it walks. So what they said about God or what they thought God was saying isn't necessarily what God was like. It wasn't necessarily what he said, but it was their best understanding of God in the time and place in which they live. But, you know, we've evolved now. We've come to a higher and wiser view of God. So we can look back on what they wrote and understand what they believe, but not necessarily think that that's God speaking or that 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 is what God would have done. And so, you know, you can imagine the implications this is going to have for biblical authority, because even if you say the Bible has authority over you, but you don't think that it got God right or his words right, well, then you're really Mm -hmm. in practicality, you're shifting the authority onto your own thoughts and feelings into yourself and your preferences and what you think is right and wrong and all that. So you can kind of see from the start that as we move into the cross and the gospel, that's going to really change the way you see those things, right? right? And you don't have to be beholden to what scripture says to get your information about those things. And so I mentioned with the cross, you know, there's lots of, and I think that I'm just going to guess that you guys would agree with me that there are a lot of different ways the Bible talks about the atonement. It's not just one thing, right? There's that Jesus died and uh, rose to defeat death and hell and sin and all of that. Jesus, uh, Christus Victor, we we affirm that. We affirm that Jesus was showing us a moral example of how to forgive and how to live. Of course, all of that's true. But the one that virtually all progressive Christians deny is the the idea of substitutionary atonement, that Jesus' death was in some meaningful sense a sacrifice. Like he took your place. He took the punishment Mm -hmm. for your sin upon himself. He paid the price so that you could be reconciled to God. That's the one that's generally denied. Um, And then so if, if we kind of lay that within the framework of the gospel... I mean, just seeing the, the gospel as the proclamation of the good news, right? The God's plan of salvation. And we talked about some of it earlier that sin separates us from God and Jesus comes, you know, the God man comes, lives a sinless life, takes our sins upon himself, uh, reconciles us to God and is re- resurrected from the dead and then is coming again. Um, virtually all of these points, there are denials in the progressive movement, even going back to, to creation. Mm. 
which I know we probably don't have time to get into, but there's a very popular view in progressive Christianity called penentheism, where the view isn't so much that God created the world and is distinct from it, but that he Mm -hmm. created the world, but he's in it like a a hand in Mm -hmm. a glove. And so this this Mm -hmm. is going to make almost everything have a spark of divinity in it, which of course you can see could have implications for, well, why would you need to be saved if you have this spark of divinity already within you? So you can see right from the exactly. start how there's just two different, majorly different paths mm-hmm. emerging mm-hmm. from uh, what we would call the gospel. And then, of course, you know, the denial of the atonement, resurrection. I have found progressives to be a bit 50-50 on that. Some affirm it, some mm-hmm. don't. Um, but, mm-hmm. but the one thing that they're pretty united in their denial is whatever their view of heaven, whatever their view of eternity is, there is, there is a denial of the reality of hell. Even whatever you might think mm-hmm. the nature of hell is or the duration of hell in progressive Christianity, there's going to be a denial that there is a place called hell where Christians are going to be punished by God. Right. This this is not something that goes with that narrative. So you can kind of see as we go through the narrative arc of the gospel, how there's just denials Mm -hmm. on virtually every point. And so this is why I argue in my book, I think this is a different religion. This is a different God. It's a different Jesus, Mm -hmm. different gospel. So it's another gospel. That's Mm -hmm. really I love the the summary statement of that. I think it's really important because I think sometimes can people can think like, what's the big deal? Why so much conversation around this? Why be um, so committed to combating some of these things? And I think the summary statement of it's another religion, I think it's yeah. really important. Um, well, because if Christianity because is true, if Christianity is true <laughs> and we are sinners who are only reconciled <laughs> to God by placing saving faith in Jesus, if that's true, <laughs> then we would mm-hmm. have to combat something calling itself Christianity that teaches against that. I, it, it exactly. just, I, it, part mm-hmm. of me, it's, it's hard for me to understand why progressives get so upset when, because like we're not ta- even talking about views of predestination or women in ministry or speaking right. in tongues or anything yeah. like that. These are not, they're not secondary this issues. Is, yeah, these are not like yeah. secondary issues mm-hmm. that divide denominations. This is like core mm-hmm. defining yeah. characteristics of what makes Christianity Christianity. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the statement that, that, we always say about progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity is no Christianity at all or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's actually regressive. We, it's very regressive mm, in that it goes back to mm, ancient heresies. It just kind of goes back to the God yes. of self. It goes all the way back to the garden and the question of the serpent. Did God really say? Yeah. 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 Who would you say, um, and you mentioned Richard Rohr earlier, but if you could, who would you say are some of those leading kind of voices right now that you see a lot of people um, getting caught up listening to, reading, talking about? kind of in the progressive movement? Well, number one would be Richard Rohr. I've I've started to kind of call him the progressive pope because virtually wow. every yeah. progressive thought leader, public person, I, I, did, I did this research one day and just thought of all the people I could think of that are kind of just big names in that movement and just looked through their tweets, tried to find every single one that I looked up had at least sung Richard Rohr's praises on Twitter or done com- you know conferences with him together, just singing his praises and many calling him things like spiritual father and mentor and things like that. So Mm. I I just don't know if there's anybody more influential than Richard Rohr right now, but I would also add to that list people like uh, Pete Enns, uh, even still Brian McLaren and Rob Bell, even though they gonna, were kind of yeah. earlier in that emergent movement, they're still very well read and respected and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, considered in this movement. I, I would also say uh, people like Jen Hatmaker uh, is is mm-hmm. a huge voice in this movement. And then there's others. There there are other kind of up and coming voices. Um, uh, Austin Channing Brown would be one. Um, there's, there's a conference that's put on by progressive Christians, and it's called the Evolving Faith Conference. 
conference and you can kind of go and look at some of those speakers there. Sarah Bessie would be another one um, that's that's very influential. And you can kind of look through the speakers and that'll give you a good idea of who's really mm-hmm. uh, influential in this movement. Mm-hmm. And you would say some of the unifying thread that kind of ties all those voices together are those views on the Bible, the cross and the gospel. I think so. Yeah. Oh, and, and the Gungers, of course, mm-hmm. the liturgists that and yep. even the whole mm-hmm. deconstruction movement, even though many in the deconstruction movement would not consider themselves to be Christians of any sort. There's still this real alliance between progressive Christianity mm-hmm. and the whole deconstruction movement, too. But mm-hmm. yeah, there, there would be pretty much unity on the at least what they deny about the historic gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that progressive Christianity and deconstruction really seems to go hand in hand, hand in hand, right? One leading to the other. It feels like you, a, a lot of times you deconstruct into progressive Christianity, but for a lot of people, that's like first base. Right. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of people end up just deconstructing all the way into just straight up humanism and atheism. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that seems to happen a, a lot, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. I think if you're going to follow uh, your logic and be intellectually honest, um, and you're eventually going to deny things like the authority of the Bible or the resurrection mm-hmm. of Christ, um, then Christianity doesn't really make a whole lot of sense mm-hmm. for you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to end up camping out somewhere yeah. else. Would Would you say that the kind of the, what we current see in its form of progression Christian, progressive Christianity came out of um, like the emergent? church movement i you know you mentioned brian mclaren like i remember being in bible college this probably would have been like 2004 2005 and being in a class and someone kind of walked in with his book i think it was um i forget a new kind of christian maybe was what it was called i don't remember and you would have thought the professor you would have thought he had walked in with some kind of occult book occult book yeah and it was (laughs) but i remember even then being so young there was like a lot Mm -hmm. of conversation around that is that kind of where what we now see as progressive christianity are, are those the roots of that? Yeah, it's actually deeper? the same movement, just with a re renaming. Um, and the reason I mm-hmm. say that is if you follow the early emergent movement with guys like Tony Jones, Doug Padgett, Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, kind of coming on at a certain point, um, there there was this, I don't know if you guys remember when Rob Bell wrote his book, Love Wins. And it was the book mm-hmm. where he basically kind of questioned and challenged the historic view of hell. And although, mm-hmm. you know, progressives are always pointing out he never actually made it claims about it, which is true. But, you know, the the question asking really led a lot of people to deconstruct their views of hell if we're, if we're, if we're really intellectually honest about it. Right. And so when he wrote right. that book, John Piper famously tweeted, farewell, Rob Bell. And it was kind of the tweet mm, yeah. around the evangelical world. And so I think things like that happening did push the emergent church out of the evangelical church pretty successfully for a mm-hmm. time. Um, But I'm always puzzled when I see even today major evangelical leaders on Twitter or somewhere say, oh, hey, remember the emergent movement that came and went so fast. And I'm thinking came and went. What are you talking about? It's it's stronger Mm. than ever. But what happened was it did get pushed underground. And even uh, Mm. Brian McLaren wrote this in a blog post in 2012. Interesting. That he said, yes, it did get pushed underground, but we didn't go anywhere. Essentially, Mm. everybody, because we had the Internet and we had social media emerging around that time. And remember mm-hmm. those blog forums and pe- where people could kind of mm-hmm. interact before we really had social media. So that movement continued to grow and find more and more like-minded people. And then Brian McLaren said in his blog post, "We, you know, we we st- we're still here. We just don't use the e-word anymore. We don't use the word emergent." Mm-hmm. He said sometimes mm-hmm. it's called missional, or sometimes it's called 
uh, a new kind of Christianity, which was, a, as you mentioned, a reference to his book, uh, or sometimes we call it progressive Christianity. Now that was 2012. Mm -hmm. And so as far as I can tell, mm -hmm. that's what happened is they just kind of re-emerged and really sort of infiltrated. I know that sounds like such an aggressive word, but I think that's exactly what happened. They sort of infiltrated mm -hmm. the evangelical church from the ground up, you know, more online mm -hmm. and in small groups and, and really flipped a lot of churches. Um, but they just, they call it progressive Christianity now, not emergent anymore, but it's the same thing. It's the same movement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And I would say, um, that's very well summed up. Um, and its roots probably go, its roots probably go deeper than just what was happening in, in Christianity. Mm -hmm. And its roots probably do go deeper into just kind of the, the overall zeitgeist of culture and how that crept into, um, Christianity. So uh, let's back up a little bit. Um, cause I want to maybe just give you the chance just to kind of share some of your story. Cause I think your story is really powerful. Um, and also could be really helpful for people who maybe are caught up in mm -hmm. progressive Christianity, or maybe they're de deconstructing or, um, or something like that. And so, uh, you said, uh, in your book, uh, you said, I've adjusted my beliefs on certain theological points and have become much more careful in how I interpret the Bible. I've dropped some not so biblical ideas that were such a part of my Christian identity that I'd never thought to question them. And you're essentially saying that on that was your kind of where you arrived on the heels of an experience that you had in a progressive Christian church. So I'd love for you just to share a little bit about that experience. And then I'd love for you to uh, expound upon what have been some of the healthy adjustments that you've made. Because we always kind of joke like, a lot of people think they're deconstructing or that they need to deconstruct, but really what they just need to do is learn yeah. and just grow, grow yeah. in their theology. Learn what systematic theology is or figure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point because, so I grew up with, I grew up in a great, um, when I say great Christian family, not perfect by any far stretch. I mean, as dysfunctional as anybody else for sure. But what I mean by great is that my parents were just very real about their Christianity. They weren't perfect, but they modeled repentance. They loved other people. They mm -hmm. served. They, you know, they read the Bible. They, they just really modeled for me what, what real Christianity is. And part of real Christianity is not being perfect. It's when you mess up, you continue mm -hmm. to get up and go to the Lord and you repent and respond to his light. And I just saw Great. that play out in my family's life. But I, I also wasn't really raised in an environment where like I had never heard of systematic theology till I was an adult. Um, I didn't know that there was a proper way to interpret the Bible. I didn't know what hermeneutics was. And so I looking like one of those things that you mentioned, like what adjusted is my biblical interpretation. You know, I would look back at um, Old Testament battles and I would allegorize them and apply them to mm. my current situation with, and right. it's not that I didn't think they happened in real life. Like, I, of course, it wasn't like allegorizing them to the fact that I didn't think it was history, but I just didn't, the, the right. history wasn't relevant to me. It just didn't, like, I didn't get that that was, I mean, in any kind of systematic way that that was really pointing toward the Messiah that was pointing towards Jesus, right. that everything in the Bible is about Jesus. I, I kind of just made a lot of it about me and my personal struggles mm -hmm. and battles. And so that's, that's probably one of the, one of the main things that has changed. Um, you have adjusted my views on some secondary issues and stuff, but the story of it is essentially growing up in that Christian home. I had a pretty good experience with Christianity. It wasn't perfect. You know, everybody's going to have a bad pastor here and there, but for the most part, I had good youth pastors. I had a good time, you know, good experience going to summer camp and all of that stuff. And so I didn't doubt what I believed. And, and I think that's why is because I didn't have a reason to want to doubt it because it worked for me and I believed it. And I just nothing 
challenged that as in my whole life until I was an adult. And uh, you mentioned I ended up at a progressive church. Of course, I didn't know that that's the direction it was going. But, you know, I, ha- I, I had been a little bit jaded. I think I was in the Christian music industry for a while and I became kind of hardened and jaded about some church culture things that I thought needed to sure. be adjusted and changed. And so the, we, my husband and I attended this church where there were a lot of other people that had some of those same sort of criticisms. And so we felt like a real sense of community with people like, hey, we're, mm-hmm. we're seeing through some of this church culture stuff. We're going to fix this stuff and we're going to live authentically Christian lives together. Um, and so we loved this church. And so we went there for a while. And after eight months, the pastor invited me to be a part of a smaller group. He, he described it like like seminary. He said, if you go to this four-year class, you'll come out on the other side of it, being able to interact with seminarians and you're going to learn a lot. And so that sounded really exciting to me, but he really approached- Only seminarians who will laugh at you. Sem- yeah. Seminarians that, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, so <laughs> all of the material that we would study was this early emergent progressive type stuff. It was skeptical literature. Um, everything was sort of from this real skeptical angle, just in, in regard to biblical reliability. A lot of it had to do with the Bible, but the atonement, all of this stuff. And so um, we didn't stay for more than a few months after that. But after I left the class, all of the, cause I would try to fight with him in the class. I would try to debate him, even though I didn't know what I was talking about. But after we left and I was kind of isolated away again, all of those doubts took root in my own heart and grew. And really I went through my own deconstruction over the next, I don't know how long it was. The actual deconstruction part was probably several months. And, but it was, it was more like he de- deconstructed me because I didn't want that mm. to happen. I didn't understand what was happening to me. I never heard the word deconstruction back then, but looking back now, that's exactly what had happened to me. And it it deconstructed me all the way down to where I was serious. No, it didn't take, I, I never walked away from my faith. I never denied Christ. Um, but I was almost equally convinced that it was false as I was that it was true. So I was just mm. walking in this total split mind of mm. my heart knows this true, but my head is convinced that it's actually not not true at all. Yeah. And so I just cried out to God. And I, I, I knew because I had skeptical hippie parents, my parents were always, you know, like questioning things. I would regularly hear them analyzing sermons on the way home from church on Sunday. And what did what did you agree with? And what did you what did you think lined up with scripture? And so I was always, I never was under the impression that I had to just take what a pastor said and believe it. Mm. Just, so I'm very thankful to my parents for that. Very much taught me to be skeptical of the skeptics. And so Mm -hmm. I, um, I knew that he had data and he had analyzed it a certain way. I knew that there had to be somebody else that had access to the same facts but maybe had come to a different conclusion. And so I cried out to God and I said, if you're real, if you exist, please send me somebody who can talk to me about these things. And then long story short, the Lord brought apologetics into my life, which is just essentially that the, uses lots of different disciplines from science to philosophy, um, history to give reasons why Christianity is true. And I had no idea about all this stuff. I had no idea that there was such a robust intellectual tradition for 2000 mm-hmm. years. So it was just like in my book, I describe it as a kid in a candy store who just found out candy even exists. It was just mm-hmm. amazing. Just the answers that I found. And then I felt kind of kind of went through like an anger period. Like why, why, when all of this skeptical stuff was being presented, did they not present both sides? Like, why didn't you tell me about all the scholars that disagree with this guy? And so, um, Mm -hmm. anyway, so the Lord used apologetics to reconstruct Mm. my faith. And like I said, you know, along the way, once I really started studying theology and hermeneutics and, um, I had to, to readjust some of those things. It felt really good to take some of those old Testament battles and apply them to my life or claim, you know, pick and choose promises out of the old Testament to say that these apply 
to me. And if I, you know, if I'm faithful, God will do this exact mm-hmm. thing in my life, not realizing that was actually right. a promise to Israel. That also came with a curse if you didn't do it. And I didn't claim the curse. I just wanted the promise. And, you know, and some of that stuff was hard emotionally to let go because it felt, it mm-hmm. really felt so faith bolstering to just do that. Um, and so there's some, you know, there's some pain in that, I think, when, especially when you kind of grow up thinking it's one way and you have to realize, actually, it's not why that verse that verse wasn't actually written to me or about me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, once you figure out where you fit in the larger story, then there's so much joy mm-hmm. because then you're finding joy in Jesus more than in mm-hmm. what, you know, God can do for you in this very moment or something like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it, it's been a journey and there's still things I, I'm not totally sure about my position on. Um, I still, the whole predestination free, free will thing, I I feel like I'm a Calvinist on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and I'm a non-Calvinist all the other days. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever make, figure out what I think about all that. I just know that I Careful, do think- Those are fighting words. Michael's a raging Calvinist. Yes, yeah. Are you? yeah, 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 yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like he's just right on the, I feel like he's right on the line, you know? Um, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Well, no, I just, you, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I, I guess most Calvinists would say, you know, I can't even claim to be a Calvinist on Tuesday and Wednesday because I do. I mean, from Scripture, I really just I think Scripture teaches libertarian free will. And so, you know, that's going to rule out Calvinism there. But um, but I just I, I, I know that that and I also know that God is sovereign and I don't know how to make that work together, but God does. And so that's sort of where I'm at with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's it's healthy in the journey as we're all learning um, and studying the scriptures that um, there's going to be tensions that get introduced into our mind. Some of those tensions will be resolved um, and some of those tensions will be partially resolved. And then some of them might not be all that resolved all the time. And uh, that's okay. But I think everything in the pursuit of truth is tolerable. Mm. Um, as long as you're continually going after truth, I think that uh, the trouble with the, um, and you even described it in your own experience where they're presenting these scholarly opinions to you, but not presenting uh, a million and one other scholarly thoughts yeah. on the same subject. Cause they're really not interested in truth. They're just interested in uh, what, what satisfies my feelings mm-hmm. and, and what helps me to uh, what helps me create the God that I want to worship. This has been a, like a thing that I've been reflecting upon over the last couple of weeks is it's that statement of like, I could never worship a God who mm-hmm. fill in the blank. Right. I just think that's, that's such a, silly statement for a Christian to make. Yeah. Um, because God, God does not exist based upon what your thoughts about him are. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. God is, God is, he's real and he is who he is and he presents himself to us through his, through his word. Yeah. Um, and so I just think that we need to be people who are in pursuit of truth and that's going to cost us bad ideas. Mm-hmm. Some of those bad ideas are precious. Um, but you got to pull a Frodo and throw that thing into the Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Into Mordor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been watching Lord of the Rings with my son lately, so I'm on that case. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, well, hey, before we before we close, um, I want to ask you just one more one more question, unless you have anything that's else. Great. You yep. good? Um, so uh, one thing I really appreciate about you is that you're just you're so willing to just talk about kind of any and everything. What I love about your YouTube is you're just always touching on different topics that are happening in culture, what's being talked about on whether it's politics, the Internet and kind of how we can like look through 
those through the, the biblical worldview. So I guess my question for you would be kind of as someone who is just so aware of all the conversations happening, what is, what's one thing that you think uh, people should be talking less about? And what's one thing you think people should be talking more about? Oh, man. Oh, could get myself in trouble with this one. <laughs> well, <laughs> everything has become so politicized, right? And I mean, everything from diseases to how we deal with those diseases. Everything is, I'm trying not to trigger your, your buzzwords <laughs> that gets you banned from YouTube. Um, I wish yeah, exactly. People, right. I wish people could respect each other more to have conversations about their personal convictions about those things without politicizing or religiousizing them. Um, mm -hmm. Because there are really faithful Christians that have different ideas about some of that stuff. So I wish that um, we were more capable of doing that as, as people. I don't see it happening anytime soon, but um I wish people would talk about the gospel more than all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish that mm -hmm. um, that Christians um, would would just lift up Christ and glorify Christ and be, you know, look, I I'm I don't do a lot of political stuff on my show because because I just I think that as Christians, we all have political opinions and we should vote in a way that is going to be the best for most people. And we want just laws and all of that stuff. Um, but, you know, we're not guaranteed we're always going to have that. And so, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, we want to, we want to raise our voice and make it count, but we also need to get ready to suffer. We need to get ready to uh, continue to proclaim the gospel no matter what happens. And so I, I, I think I wish we would talk more about that um, mm -hmm. and uh, have a more, maybe a more global perspective on the church and on uh, the gospel. Um, but yeah, I guess that's, that's about how I can say it kind of vague without getting you guys in too much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Oh, that's amazing. Um, well, thanks for um, thanks for spending some time with us today. Thanks for um, just sharing your story. Where can people find you online? YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. How can people find you, and where can they get your book? So I'm not on Twitter anymore. It's best best okay. decision I ever made. I was nice going to say good yeah, mental well health. Done. Oh, I'm, I'm too addicted. I can't. I can't get off. I, of it. I quit years ago. Uh, let me just make a pitch for it. I. I feel so much better that I'm not on Twitter. Really? Twitter is, there's just wow. not a lot of redeeming things about mm -hmm. Twitter. Um, mm -hmm. Except Peter J. Williams I I have this threads about, he always, Peter Williams, the Bible scholar, always did these great threads. I do miss those on just some mm -hmm. little obscure thing in the Bible. I'm, I do miss those. That was about the only redeeming thing for Twitter fear. for me. Yeah, I have this weird fear that I'm going to miss out on something, which mm. is so lame. Mm. But I'm going to miss out on something that mm. is unimportant that for whatever reason I think is important. That sounds I'm like gonna a, that sounds I'm going like to try it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to take a month. Devil, I'm going cool. to take a month off. I recommend it because I feel like I miss out on a lot and I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. I'm I happy to miss out. out on all of that. Yeah. yeah. But um, I am on Facebook and Instagram at Alisa Childers, YouTube, Alisa Childers, and you can go to alisachilders.com. Amazing. Great. And her book is another gospel and highly recommend you pick that up. Yeah, we'll put read. that link in the I show notes for sure. I think it will sure. help you. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Alisa. Thank hey, you. Great to talk to you guys.